got a message for you to deliver. Okay, what is it? When you see producer show, mm-hmm. can you just tell him he's garbage? He is just <laughs> wow. an abomination. I don't even know what he's doing. He did, this guy does not know how to do his job. What is he doing? Wow, what did he do to you? Who who am I impersonating? John Tortorella. <laughs> Dallas CEO Jim Lights. <laughs> All right. They're, they're one and the same these days, I guess, aren't they? Man, I'll tell you. I know uh, we're a little late to the party here, friends, but those comments that came out just after Christmas, Jim Lights ripping Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. It was one of those things where I read it and it was like, oh, this is crazy. And then I thought about it for a couple more seconds and I was like, no, this is crazy. Like I have, I cannot think of the equivalent of these comments. You needed to call show a horse beep before. Well, that's it. I, you know what? I didn't want to use the bleeps. I wanted to really be able to put my heart into it. And, and on this family friendly podcast, we can't. So I just came up with other things. So it's also because, let's be real, we love show and he's awesome. And that was just our uh, silly bit to kick off this edition of the podcast where we're going to get Sean Shapiro of The Athletic. He covers the Dallas Stars. He was one of the reporters who lights unloaded on about Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. Just so you know, we're not going to beat that to death because that has been well covered, but we're just going to use it as an excuse to check in with this very intriguing team, the Dallas stars, a team that you go back over the past few years. It seems like Dallas since Jim Neal got there as GM, man, they've got Tyler Sagan. That was one of his very first moves. They've had a number of off seasons. I feel like whether it was signing Ben Bishop or even Alex Radulov, where when you're doing your, who won the off season takes Dallas was kind of, on the list of of teams you always thought was one of the winners, but Mm -hmm. things have clearly not gone according to how management upper management (laughs) believes. And and even the coach Jim Montgomery has been pretty clear about his feelings about a team that is actually in the playoffs. So we just want to drill a little deeper with Sean about exactly what's going on with the stars and uh, get our finger on the pulse there. We also are going to spend a good amount of time on this podcast kicking off trade deadline talk. The deadline is February 25th, just about a month away now at this point. So it's time to to fire up the old trade machine and see what it spits out. Because there's some very, very intriguing names and some teams with specific needs. There's guys on term, there's rentals, there's just all kinds of stuff to go over. So we're going to devote a couple of segments to trying to uh, to see where there might be some perfect fits. But before we get there, as promised, we're going to start with the Dallas Stars and examine the situation down in the heart of Texas. Side of the post. Eight seconds left. Stars Haskin it. Shot didn't get through cleanly. Swept into the slot. Cleared by the Flyers. And Philly holds. Their skin is over. And the Stars go one and two on the trip. Stars get to it, but they're not going to have enough time. 15 seconds remain. A stretch pass. Passes away from Yanmark. Off of Schwartz. Shed with an empty net bid. Hit the side of the cage. Spezza winds at the length. One more stop for Binnington, who continues his brilliance. And the Stars fall 3-1 in the opener of this season-long homestand. 
we don't compete at a level that's acceptable, you know, and it's it's everybody. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I'm, I'm very frustrated that I've not been able to gain consistency in our performance and I haven't been able to change the culture of mediocrity. Joining us on the line now, he covers the Dallas Stars for The Athletic. It's Sean Shapiro. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? We are fantastic. Very well. Fantastic as always. I have to believe we're doing a little better than Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan were the day after uh, Jim Light's comments. Just absolutely torching those guys came out a little bit before the new year. It was a little while ago. Obviously, we don't want to completely beat that horse to death. But a lot of people (laughs) certainly stood up and took notice. And a lot of people snapped to attention and trained their eyes on the stars at that point and said, whoa, whoa, uh, what's going on here? So in the aftermath of those comments, just give us a sense of what it's been like around the team. And what is it exactly that isn't going right for this team and compelled a man in light's position to come out and say stuff about those two guys specifically. But I have to believe in his mind, the problems run even deeper. Well, the amazing thing about all of this is, and I was talking to someone the other day about it, who's a casual hockey fan in Dallas, someone who is, um, they, the stars game is on, they'll watch it, but isn't really a big hockey fan. When they were seeing this stuff coming out, they were assuming the stars must be in like last place. The assumption from people if you didn't look at the standings and hadn't really paid much attention to what the Stars have done and you heard stuff like this, you probably would think that, oh, this must be a last-place team, a team that is going nowhere, and things are really – and then you look and you see it's a team with a rookie head coach. They've used 12 different defensemen, and they're in third place in the Central Division. It's it's something it's something where – well, they, they were. They've been the wild-card spot now. But for most of us, they keep bouncing back and forth to first wild-card third place in the central like this is a team that's in the playoff hunt and probably will be a playoff team and these aren't the comments you would expect about a playoff team the other thing that's just been fascinating about that is the aftermath of everything is not only jim light's comments came out but then a couple days later jim nil comes out and says we need to be better and so basically backing up his ceo on hey this is uh i'm standing by what he was trying to say with these comments which is which is it's another thing. And then just adding and going deeper into what's happened in the stars, there's been this whole kind of, it's, it's created a bit of a, more of an expectation now where things are getting called out. Um, last week, the stars lose and Jim Montgomery, who's, as I said, as a rookie head coach uses the term that he hasn't been able to train or turn around the culture of mediocrity in Dallas. And it's just, and in a way, I mean, it makes sense. The Stars only made the playoffs twice in the last 10 years, but this team is not nearly as in bad shape as the as its own internal message message givers have been have been sending. I wanted to ask you about those comments from Montgomery because, like, they were very interesting, like very much in line with what Lights was saying, with much different language, obviously. But it's same kind of message, right? Like, there's something wrong here, and and he's frustrated that he hasn't been able to change it. I have to admit, before the season, I had picked Montgomery as my uh, Jack Adams because I saw the potential for Dallas to kind of overachieve their expectations um, and that obviously him being the first-year coach, that he would take some credit for that. hasn't really played out that way, but, you know, hearing lights, hearing what Montgomery said and then seeing this team one night play so well against the Tampa Bay Lightning in a losing effort and then other nights 
maybe the Blues game from the weekend. They, they just look like a completely different team where they don't have the same chances. They don't seem to come with the same uh, c- kind of ferocity, I guess. Like They look like two different teams a lot of the time. Why? Why is that? Why is it the group of players is? Are they not buying into something? Do they need help? Um, is it? Is it? You know, a problem with something above Jim Montgomery? Like, what? Why, what is it about this team that is? You know, high end players, high end talent at the top of the lineup that they can't find any kind of consistency to this point in the season. Well, I think there's two things. A, I think the consistency with the forward group is the Stars can't score. I mean, it, it's the thing where even with a – well, while Ben and Sagan are, make, are taking a bit the, the the most heat from management and, and along those lines, one of the things that is – and it's kind of – it's been the Stars, when the CEO went out there and said this, they thought, okay, we're going to turn up the heat on Ben and Sagan. And it's been interesting because this has brought up – it's brought up even more recognition for how the stars have kind of failed to build a second line or any secondary depth that could make life easier and create a team that actually can attack in waves. Um, so it's, it's the type of thing where if Ben and Sagan are good and Ben Sagan and Radulov are good, the stars are good that night. If they're having a bit of an off night, the stars aren't good that night because there's no depth. There's no, there's no offensive depth that is able to make up for those nights where the t- top players aren't delivering. The second line tonight is, I mean, they, so they recently traded for Andrew Cogliano. The second line tonight is Cogliano, Jason Dickinson, and Jason Spezza. I mean, it's, it's, they don't have the offensive depth. They don't have another unit that people have to worry about. And they occasionally try to break up that top line to get things going. But when they do that, it doesn't seem to work. It's just, this is, it's partially coaching hasn't been able to find the buttons to get it to work. But it's also, it, it goes up to Jim Nill as not doing his part to really complete the offensive attack here. I mean, they were in on the conversations for John Tavares, and you think, okay, they know they needed to add something. And obviously everyone wanted to talk to John Tavares. But when you go from looking at, okay, we're in the conversation for Tavares, we're, we're at least in that discussion, and then your offseason signing is Blake Como, I mean, that says a lot about really what management, how management didn't give the coach the best possible team he could have. So on Jim Nill, now he's been the GM of this team since 2013. I wanted to check contract if I could. And as far as I could tell, he signs an extension in 2016 on a deal that didn't expire, if I'm right, until the end of this season. So he's actually under contract until 2022-23, correct me if I'm wrong. Usually, yeah, usually hearing all this stuff, you're thinking the GM is in the hot seat. But is he a little protected by that contract? Do you think it'll be a factor or not? And like how aggressive do you see him being at the trade deadline? What kind of moves might he explore? Um, I think he is. I, I do think he's on the hot seat because I don't think, I think he's in the situation where you get, you, you don't get to miss the playoffs again. I, I, I really think it's a situation with, if the stars miss the playoffs, I have high likelihood in my mind that I'll be covering another GM search. I just don't see hmm. how, the stars need a fall guy for this. And they tried to put it on Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan are the two most untouchable people in the organization. They both have no movement clauses for Jamie for six more years, Tyler for nine more years. Like there's no, there's someone's going to have to be the fall guy. And I think Jim Nill's going to be that person. And it was and like the final line of my story that I think one of the most telling things is when Jim lights went on his rant to me, he ended it with these guys are going to make us run through a GM. And I think, he has a little bit of security. It's not, 
he at least has a little security in his mind because of that contract. But at the end of the day, he's got to make the playoffs. And I think that's, that's the reason you're seeing the stars doing more now and why they're taking a look and trying to adjust on the fly right now. It's the reason they make the trade for Andrew Cogliano the other day. Uh, Cause they say, okay, maybe he's a guy who better fits Montgomery system. It's the reason they're looking around and, and they are looking for another top six guy right now. It puts a lot of pressure on Jim Neal. I, I think they're in a spot where it could be something before the deadline, but I think they have to kind of make these moves sooner because they need to get ahead of it and, really get themselves to a spot where whoever they bring in, they can mesh and they're not in a spot where the stars are like they are last year, where they just fell apart at the end of the season and there was no time to recover. So you mentioned that when it comes right down to it, if they miss the playoffs, nil could wind up being the fall guy. Do you think there is some long-term lasting negative impact, however, for Ben and Sagan? Like I just can't imagine that there isn't some sort of fallout from these comments. I mean, as as you noted, they have signed on to be Dallas Stars for a long time. Sagan's extension signing earlier this year was, was very celebrated, mostly because of the creative way that the Stars released it with the, uh, the Nintendo release. But uh, it seemed to make all the sense in the world and that those two guys would be the guys leading this team forward. But, I mean, they went to the nuclear option. And and as you said, the thing that stood out to me is you would think you were talking about a team that finished dead last, you know, five years in a row. That hasn't necessarily been the case. And, and there does seem to be this potential here. But I just have to wonder, do you have a sense that the relationship somehow, some way, has just been been compromised between these two megastars and the organization? Well, I think it's... There's definitely an impact on Jamie Ben. It's it's interesting because I feel like Tyler Tyler Sagan has dealt with this before. And it, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as the CEO publicly calling someone into his office and using the language, but you remember how Tyler was kind of, what happened as Tyler went out of Boston. And so it's it's one of those things where Tyler is the person who has been kind of I don't want to say numb to it, but he's the person who's kind of just let it roll off of him and just it hasn't let him affect him. Um, if you bring it up, he'll point out that he, he's been playing well recently. He'll point out that Jim Light's comments have nothing to do with it. I think Tyler, it, it didn't really impact Tyler that much. I think it's something, um, but it is something that I think it's had an impact on Jamie Ben. Jamie's a guy who, he's an emotional hockey player. He's a guy who, when he's angry, he's a much more impactful player. And I think one of their thought processes in this was, let's get Jamie angry. Let's get Jamie to, uh, let's, let's get him pissed off all the time. Let's, let's make him go into that, uh, that mode where he wants to take it out on the other teams. And, and he hasn't responded that way. He's been playing kind of the same way he hasn't. And, and I think he was, he was definitely hurt by these comments. Um, and it's something where, I think there is definitely a bit of a uh, fractured relationship that needs to be either needs to be repaired with Ben and just figure out how they can work with that because he's the one who, on top of that, he's the captain of this team, he's the leader of this team, and whatever you want to say about him as a captain, he's a he's a guy that really has the room. The players really follow him, which is both good and bad because it's good because when he's good, the team really follows, but when he's bad, the other the team kind of slumps a little bit, and you can see that how much of an impact Jamie has. And if you're going to go pissing off the guy who has the room and has everyone else, you could have potentially set off even more fires if you don't if you don't figure out somehow to smooth this over. Just jumping off Ryan's question there, just and looking ahead a little bit. So Jason Spetz's seven and a half million dollars comes off the books this year, and Dallas has 
all kinds of salary cap space. A couple of RFAs, but I don't think anybody that's going to break the bank necessarily. In terms of free agents coming in here, you said they were interested in Tavares. I think they were linked to Eric Carlson at one point. Like they've they've been aligned with some big guys in the past. Do you think these comments from the CEO and just everything that's happening right now with this team sitting in third place in their division, do you get a sense that that might negatively impact any pitches for big free agents this summer or sometime near in the near future? I think it's certainly something that if I'm putting myself in a player or an agent's shoes, it's certainly something I would think about when I'm talking to Dallas as a free agent or I'm looking at it and I'm in a spot where if I'm going into that meeting with Jim Nill, A, I don't want Jim Lights in that meeting, and B, <laughs> I want to know, okay, B, I want to know um, how much of a role does he actually have because that's something I would really want to know as a player coming to this organization. So I don't know the exact long-term impacts, but it's something that I, I do think it is a legitimate concern. And it's something I think it's a question that's going to come up. The other key question becomes if there is fallout, hypothetically say the stars do miss the playoffs and Jim Nill is gone. Does that wipe the slate for this? But Jim lights mm-hmm. is still around. Does that make it worse? I mean, it, it, there's a bunch of different factors I can see playing out, but it's certainly something that's not just going away. I was comparing it to something the other day where, Think about the San Jose Sharks. The Sharks are a really well-run organization. They've done everything really well. But for whatever reason, whenever I think about the Sharks, I always end up thinking about when they took, kept taking captaincy away from guys. Now, that doesn't have anything to what, what they're doing right now, and it, doesn't really, and it doesn't really negatively impact what they're doing now, but it was kind of a move where they took captaincy from two or three guys away, and, and it just looked bad, and those mm-hmm. guys are still around. And it's something that still sticks in mind years later, and I can't even tell you what year it actually happened. I think that's what this will be for the Stars, where people will think about Dallas, and they'll be like, well, that's the one with the CEO where he's going to go rip you, and <laughs> it's something that players are going to think about for more than just this offseason. It's going to be it's going to be in people's minds. Well, certainly a bizarre, bizarre situation, and when it happened, like I was just waiting for the story to come out that said, you know, Jim Lights thought uh, conversation <laughs> after four bourbons at the bar was off the record, but uh, <laughs> I, I was totally blown away to find out exactly how things went down. And uh, if we're ever having some bourbons with you at the bar, Sean, I, I'd sure to love to get the hour-long version because what a day <laughs> that uh, that must have been. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me on. Sean Shapiro of The Athletic. He covers Jim Lights, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, and everyone associated with the Dallas Stars who, it bears repeating, hold the playoff spot and could absolutely get in. How much of a blessing is it for the Dallas Stars that Colorado has been struggling for the last number of weeks? If they were going at the same pace, they'd be 10 points ahead of Dallas, and they're hanging on to a wild card spot right now. Absolutely. I mean, all those teams... uh, Colorado absolutely could have pushed them out in the central, but if you're looking at just the last two wild card spots in the West, Colorado, uh, obviously Anaheim at 12 L's and counting right now, Edmonton, Vancouver, they're all sort of, you know, five, five and O in their, in their past 10 or worse in some cases. So yes, that's been uh, the only thing that's kept some of those teams in, in the races that everyone around them is, spiraling as well i'm invested in this dallas stars team because before the season i made a bet with drew livingston our uh, youtube video editor 
that they would get into the playoffs. It's a lunch bet. The loser has to buy the other guy lunch, and I have them in the playoffs. He has them out of the playoffs, but ninth place is a push. Uh, so I, I feel pretty good. Like, they're in a good spot. It's absolutely. just all this stuff going on around. It's like, oh, God, I hope it doesn't melt this team by the end of the season. <laughs> well, who knows what the Stars will be doing in advance of the trade deadline, and that's where this conversation is going next. We're going to look at a number of candidates to be moved before the deadline, many of whom appear on a piece in a piece written by Rory on sportsnet.ca. We're going to dive in, try and figure out what the right fits are. A number of teams out there looking for help at forward on defense. We are going to try and figure all that out on the other side of the break on tape to tape. The Tape to Tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali, complete with the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate. Net sliding around on the way to pond hockey? Use the built-in load stop to help keep them in place. Loading what seems like half a team's worth of bags? The tailgate also turns into a step for easier access and has an inner gate that flips down for unloading all the gear you can fit. GMC Sierra Denali. We are professional grade. Welcome back to Tape to Tape, Rory. We're not doing a true fake trade segment here. Thank God. That's so hard to come up with those. Oh, man. (laughs) I think everyone in the world knows my feelings. And even though we're not doing a true fake trade segment, let me just tease this. I have come up with a three team fake trade just one that is going to cause smoke to come out of the microphones we'll save that one for later what we are doing here is going through a number of the guys listed in an article you wrote it's up at sportsnet.ca now these are basically 20 players who we believe to be in play leading up to the february 25th trade deadline so We are going to connect some dots here. We're going to go over some of these names and basically just give our thoughts on one or two teams who we think these players, within reason, might be a good fit for. So Mm -hmm. bear with us here, friends. We're going to go. There's going to be some overlap here, clearly, because there are, uh, not surprisingly, you know, multiple teams that are a fit for, hey, let's start with a guy like Dougie Hamilton, a right shot defenseman who's signed through 2020-21. Of course, there are going to be a number of teams interested in that Carolina hurricane. And we just want to see which teams might make the most sense. So why don't we start there since he is the first guy listed in the piece Is there one team that you think makes the most sense for a guy who was traded just last June? And if he gets traded, it'll be for the third time in his young career. But I feel like that's an entirely different podcast. Yeah, well, the team that jumps off the page are the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? I mean, in a way, he's already indirectly been traded away from the team. The Phil Kessel trade where they traded two first-round picks to Boston. One of those picks ended up becoming Dougie Hamilton. Uh, but he plays the right side, right? And he's kind of that 
anchor. He's another top pair defenseman. And, and I think you can't really look at his offensive totals this year and say he's, oh, he's having a bad year away from Mark Giordano or anything like that because all of his underlying numbers are still really strong. And the way Carolina uses him, he's on their second pair at even strength and on the power play. He's not, you know, his minutes are a little bit lower than they were with the Calgary Flames and the team doesn't score. Like it's an overall scoring problem within that organization, really long running. And that's why when they trade him, I imagine they're going to be getting some level of scoring forward back. Um, So I don't think Carolina would be selling him low or anything like that. It's going to be costly. Toronto needs the right, the guy who plays the right side, a guy with some offense to him, still sturdy on defense Maybe he can be like a guy who plays with Jake Gardner even to stabilize him or you put him with Riley, whatever you want to do. But then Toronto also has, you know, some young guys with some pop in them that they could offer back to Carolina. I don't think this is a trade that you would give up William Nylander for. I wouldn't give up. I don't think I would give up Nazem Kadri because it's Nazem Kadri plus, but I really value that center depth. But you're talking about Jeremy Bracco, maybe who's crushing in the A. All these guys, you're talking about this guy plus, 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 right? Kasperi Kapanen is a guy. I don't know if you would consider trading even one of your young defensemen in the AHL. Toronto's just kind of stacked with forwards, especially. And since that is what Carolina is primarily looking for, that might be something. If he doesn't get traded at the deadline and it's a summer thing, then maybe Kadri comes into play at that point. Um, but his his contract is very manageable. Another two years after this at $5.75 million for what he brings. I think that's really good value. You can say Toronto for just about any yeah, defenseman. So but that's what I was going to say. Let me jump in there and throw some other names at you. Petrangelo. I mean, anybody. Like These guys are top-end guys. But would, right? you, would you draw a line and say, if you're the least... You, would you rather see them pay a heftier price and get Petrangelo or Hamilton? I think you draw a line under those two guys, mm-hmm. both right shot D. Petrangelo signed through next year, so you have him through 2020. Yep. Then you have Alec Martinez, a different category player, but very useful. Yep. Left shot plays the right side as well. And also another King, Jake Muzzin, fantastic <sighs> left side yeah. D. Do you, If you're the Leafs, would you... Rather say, let's bite down and give up more and get go for the home run? Or would you say, if you want to, I mean, I don't think we're going to call Muzzin, especially consolation prize, but set right. your sights a little lower and say, maybe we don't give up anything off the roster and it's only a first rounder and Liljegren or Sandine. Sandine. Yeah. I was going to say, come yeah. on, the guy from the Sioux they drafted last year. Yeah. I don't think I would go too big right now like if if you're talking about trading some huge pieces and and maybe even a pretty substantial piece or two off of your current roster again like a cadre i would kind of lean more towards you know what i'm just gonna go with what i have and take my shot with this team because i think nowadays it's more important to have that depth up front than it is on the back end. And I think Toronto, I just don't think you can look too much into this two week stretch of mediocre play from them and a power play that's been struggling for a month and a half and say they have all these big problems. They need to throw all their chips in and go after Alex Petrangelo. You can do it and it doesn't really take anything away from your team. I think you have to explore it, but there's going to be so much potential change in this team this summer after the big RFA contracts get signed that I think at that point there's more room for you to 
test some things, try a, try some things out and maybe make some more significant overhauls. And at that point, I would be looking at those guys. But Jake Muzzin, you're talking more about a second pair guy. And I think he would be, even though he's a left left shot, left side guy, he would be the perfect complement to Jake Gardner on that second unit. And at that point, I think you have to get away from you have to play your left shot on your left side and whatever. And I would just play him on the right side with Gardner because he's just his physical game has come to another level this year. He's thrown around hits like never before. And you know that he's a sturdy defensive player. He's been the King's best defenseman so far this year. Okay, let's group two players who have a similar game tough dudes going to the front of the net, chipping in goals, Michael Furlan and Wayne Simmons. Do you see natural fits for two guys who realistically every team in the playoffs is looking at yeah. saying, this is the kind of guy who can really help you in a grinding seven game series. Yes. Yeah, so let's just get it out of the way. We won't talk about it anymore. Toronto is linked to Wayne Simmons. End of sure. story. Sure. Okay. Um, on from there, you know, Wayne Simmons, only two players in the NHL have scored more power play goals than him over the last four years. So if you're a team that needs to strengthen your extra man unit, you want the grit that he brings. I'm looking at a team like Columbus and I'm wondering because the the only problem would be they're in your division and that might make it a little bit more difficult, but Philly's out of it, right? They're just looking to get whatever assets they can for uh, what is going to be likely a rental player. And Columbus kind of has to be all in on this, on this season with Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky, at least one of them, at least Bobrovsky likely to walk to UFA. We'll see about Panarin. But I think that top line with Panarin, Dubois, and Atkinson is really underrated as one of the best lines in the league this season. And then, so if you can bring in Simmons and put him on the second line and give that a little bit more pop, plus add him to your power play, which is near the bottom of the league, I think that could be a really good potential fit. And then, of, of course, another team that has to improve their power play and one that is probably going to be a buyer that we didn't really, to some degree anyway, that we didn't really expect this season, the Montreal Canadiens, I think would be a really good fit for Simmons as well. The worst power play in the league. And we know that team, uh, Mark Bergevin has in the past not been at all shy to pick up third and fourth line grit guys that don't really add a lot of offense. The difference with Simmons is that he can play on one of your top two lines and add some scoring punch to you as well. Help that, that, help that power play. Um, and you know, he just brings a little bit more of an element of skill and leadership, and it could be a really nice bump for that team. I'm going to talk about a team I think should be in on a couple players, maybe Furland or Simmons, but some other guys out there who might even be bigger swings. That's the New York Islanders. Mm -hmm. What a season for the Islanders. I mean, you can't do things for symbolic reasons or not entirely for symbolic reasons, mm -hmm. but how much would it mean to get into the playoffs the year after John Tavares left and forget just getting into the playoffs. This team is actually in the mix for the Metro lead or at least yeah. one of the first three spots, which seems crazy. That's why a couple guys, I would like to see them sniffing around. How about Matt Duchesne? Why not go out sure. there and take a crack? The Islanders drafted Noah Dobson and Oliver Wallstrom last year, mm -hmm. two first-round picks. Giving up your 2019 first-rounder maybe doesn't hurt so much for the Isles. Start protect there. Protect it. Lockout protect Lock that for the first time. Jack yes. Hughes protect yes. it for sure. But I would talk about that for Duchesne and slide him onto the second line maybe with Barzell. The Islanders are an amazing story in how they've turned around their defense from like an historically terrible team last year to one that is 
suppressing shots at a top five level this year. Goaltending, that is one of the best two in the entire league, a goaltending tandem, say, percentage-wise, best two in the league. So if you can add a little bit more scoring punch to that, just a little bit of help for Matt Barzell on that second line, that could take this team to another level. And, and like you said, they are right, right in the thick of things here for that Metropolitan Division title, just three points shy of the Columbus Blue Jackets with a game in hand. Like, they could come out of this weekend and be sitting in first place. So you're in a really nice situation there, further ahead of schedule than I think they ever thought they would be. No so doubt. so that's definitely a team that could have some options. You know, as far as any of these wingers go, any of these scoring guys up front, Colorado's potentially in play for any of them as well because... They have one scoring line. And then basically the guy you're relying on to score outside of the Rocky Mountain line is Carl Soderberg, who is a third-line checker. And somehow he is putting together actually a pretty decent goal-scoring season. But you don't feel good relying on that, right? If you can put Tarasenko on that second line, suddenly that breathes new life into that. And it could add a lot. Dallas would be another team in that potentially exact same story, just a team of one line goal scorers and then not much else beyond that. And then I think a team that has some potential would be the Vegas Golden Knights just because they have some cap cap room still. Now their first two lines are pretty well, pretty well set right now, but Riley Smith has been injured and that first line from last year that was so good with him and Marsh. So not, not so hot this year. Basically, the Stasny, Pacioretty, Tuck line is their number one now. Yeah, Tuck having a great season. Uh, so if you want to shake it up a little bit there and and add a little bit more scoring, even if it's a um, you know Simmons coming into play on your third line, that I mean that adds another dimension uh, to Vegas. And if you can imagine your third line having Simmons on it, your fourth line having Ryan Reeves on it, like you've got a lot of physical power down on those bottom six lines. Uh, one guy's a little bit more skilled than the other, of course, but it's an element that I think teams are not focusing on so much. So maybe there's a little bit of an advantage that you could finagle out of that. Um, I think <laughs> the grand takeaway from this, we haven't even talked about Edmonton yet. We know that they're looking for a scoring winger. They could be on any of these guys. Well, I wouldn't be after a rental. Let's save Edmonton for the let's next it. block okay. because they're part of my mega trade. Okay, I'm really looking forward to that mega trade. <laughs> Basically, what you can say by looking at all these guys is and all these teams is everybody's in it. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff Carter, Matt Duchesne, I mean, Boston is going to make a trade, too. They have the defensive play and the size and strength that Toronto doesn't have, but they're going to add another element of scoring to try and equal them in, in some regard. Boston is definitely uh, going to do something. Tampa Bay maybe adds a, a, a depth defenseman along with Toronto or something like that. Who knows what Buffalo is going to do because they've been on a huge downward slide since that 10-game winning streak. Everybody is in on this. Minnesota might be one of the more interesting teams around the deadline because they can offer any of these teams back NHL players. Yeah. When Paul Boyle. Fenton was hired there as their new GM in the summer, their owner said at his press conference, he knows the expectation is we're going to win Stanley Cups. And this is a team that has failed over and over again, especially in game sevens, and they haven't done anything with this roster yet. Matt Dumba is out, so that takes away one factor there, but maybe Jonas Brodeen. There's a couple of guys on that team that you could see being offered up in trade just to get some new faces in there and sh- and shake things up. All right, folks, that is just part one of Trade Talk. When we come back, we're going to touch on some other trade candidates, and I'm going to throw out my crazy three-team trade two of those teams are canadian teams that involves no less than four of the guys 
on Rory's trade candidate wow. list on sportsnet.ca. Oh yeah, baby, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna bring it all together. Coming up on the other side of the break on tape to tape. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Rory, while we were busy stretching our legs during the break, we had some breaking news, trade news. Victor Rask on the move to the Minnesota Wild. For Nino Niederreiter, Niederreiter <laughs> long rumored, I would say, for some time anyways, yep. rumored to be on the block for the Wild. We talked a bit about the Canes and Minnesota in the last block as, you know, certainly two teams that were on the radar. This this seems like a trade where both clubs are kind of hoping to jumpstart the guy with a new setting, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, Niederreiter is one of these guys. I don't think this is where it ends for Minnesota either, just too many. Um, he just, yeah, I think he'd hit a wall there in Minnesota. He was a top pick, a first-round pick from them a long time ago and had a really, really high expectations at one point. And he even had three straight years where he scored 20 goals. Last year, he got 18, but only in 63 games, so he was tracking that way again. And for whatever reason, this year, he's well off of that pace, more towards 18 goals, far fewer points. Um, I like the trade for Carolina. I mean, this isn't going to solve all their problems up front or anything like that, but he certainly is a guy who comes with that upside of 50 maybe 60 points in a in a career year with 20 to 25 goals potentially if he absolutely hits he could maybe hit 30 but i think that's a bit of a stretch at this point and rask i i think his best season if he gets back to it is going to be 50 points like he's fine and everything like that but niederreiter has the better pedigree and has the potential of making up some of that offense that this team just can't have i think what's going to be interesting to watch here is if Rask does go to Minnesota and start scoring again, he's only got six points in 26 games this season, missed some time with injury. If he starts scoring again and you're seeing what uh, is happening with Lindholm and Calgary, how Dougie Hamilton has been struggling in Carolina, you could look back and say, why do these guys who keep believing score somewhere else? What is wrong with your offense in Carolina? Why, when players are there who can clearly achieve elsewhere, why are they not getting it done when they're in Carolina? Now, it, it's it's a little different from Michael Furland. He actually is having a pretty good year there. Might be on track for a career year. But for such a long time, Carolina is one of the analytics darlings because they get so many chances on net compared to the opposition, and they just can't score. So it'll just be interesting if Ross gets back on track somewhere else, and especially if also Niederreiter continues to struggle. It, the questions will continue to run what the heck is going on in Carolina. Well, if this swap doesn't solve Carolina's problems, my pretend trade certainly will. I've been teasing it all podcast. It's time to unload. All right. Here we go. 
All right, so... I haven't heard this yet. You, We're dropping it on you. <laughs> we're dropping it on the world. I just hope everyone's ready. So as noted, this involves four players on your list of trade candidates. Two Canadian teams involved, Edmonton and Ottawa. You would have figured it out pretty quickly. And Carolina. Okay. To the Edmonton Oilers, Dougie Hamilton, Michael Furland, Matt Duchesne, oh Kelvin DeHaan. Got all that? Okay. To the Ottawa Senators, Edmonton's first pick in the 2019 draft, Carolina's first pick in the 2020 NHL draft. Okay. To Carolina, I'll save the big name for last, Jesse Pugliarvi. Okay. Milan Lucic, because you got to eat a little yeah. salary to yeah. get Leon Dreisaitl. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, baby. Wow. Okay. Do you want to let this sink in while I just give my explanation sure, for all yeah, three teams? All right. Why the hell would the Oilers trade Leon Dreisaitl? Okay. Well, you're getting Dougie Hamilton under contract for multiple years and Kelvin DeHaan also under control for multiple years. A defense core that has long, long been undermanned all of a sudden adds a frontline guy and a support guy, boom, just like that. Hamilton plays the right side. DeHaan is on the left side. Furland and Duchesne are going to seriously help the forward crew. They are both UFAs, pending UFAs. However, with the money you're saving, trading Dreisaitl and Lucic, you can absolutely make a bully offer to keep at least one of those guys. Furland's a prairie boy, used to play in Calgary. He could essentially be what you were hoping Lucic would have been, a guy who can get you 20 to 25 and play with all kinds of jam. And if you can keep Matt Duchesne instead, well, all the better. Why can you trade Dreisaitl? Because Ryan Nugent Hopkins has become a fantastic second-line center. Yes. So you got McDavid and RNH as your 1-2. Difficult as it is to wrap your brain around trading a player as good as Dreisaitl, at age 23, when you've got those two, and let's start with the best player on planet Earth as your first line center and a, a still young Ryan Nugent Hopkins as number two, it it opens the doors to things. So if I'm Edmonton, I'm going, I've solved my defense problem in one fell swoop. And if I can keep one of Furlan and Duchesne, obviously preferably Duchesne, after he comes here and and we make a good push and get into the playoffs, then I really haven't taken that big of hit, of a hit, and I'm getting out from the Lucic deal all in one right. fell swoop here. If you're Ottawa, I mean, this is the easiest to explain. You're trading Matt Duchesne. You're getting two first-round picks. Yeah. Not bad. That's really good. That's it really seems, good. It seems a little high. I don't know if they'll get that on the open market, well, but, but there's other things in sure, this trade. Sure, I mean, it maybe Carolina kicks to a second. Edmonton's sure. first and Carolina's second. Something in that neighborhood. Well, wow. I mean, this is a Ca- lot to process here. And if you're Carolina, you're giving up Hamilton and Furland and DeHaan, but we all know defense is the area of strength. Yep. You're getting a sure thing stud in dry settle. That. Nino Niederreier, that's lovely. This is a guy who's going to move the needle for you offensively. To get that, you got to eat this Lucic salary and hope that, you know, playing in anonymity in Carolina, maybe he bounces back to an 18-goal season somewhere. You ride it out for a few years and figure out what to do. And Pugliarvi is a fourth overall pick from less than three years ago who maybe when he gets with his Finnish buddy, Ajo, 
finds his game and and ends up being a decent contributor. So I love that for Carolina okay. uh, because if you are now going into the future with three centers of uh, Dreisaitl, Aho and Jordan Stahl is now your third line center, which is more better is better where he fits. Uh, that's that's one of the best three centers or you in can, the league. Or you can put Drysaddle on wing where he's played all kinds of time with, with for David sure. in Edmonton. For sure. Boy, and then Lucic is a throw in there, but Pugliarvi is, is kind of that wild card. I really like that. Obviously, if you're Ottawa and you can get two first-round picks for Duchesne, you do that. Gotta I do think that they're happy if they get one first-round pick this, this trade deadline. I kind of think that's what they will get or something equivalent to that. So if you get two, even that's if, a huge win. Even if they're Jack Hughes protected. Yeah, I kind of look at this, and I'm, I'm going down player by player for Edmonton. So let's start with Furland, who I imagine you're playing with McDavid. Yeah, right? he had just like Patrick played, Maroon did previously. Right, and he had just played with the, the big line in Calgary to great that's success. Right. So that would be a fit. But obviously going from Furland, or from Dreisaitl to Furland is a massive, massive downgrade drop. in that regard. And he doesn't have the flexibility of also being able to play center Nugent Hopkins has one or two more years on his deal after this one it's not a long time so you do have to start thinking about you know what's the plan for when his contract comes up if he leaves or if he wants to sign for a lot like do we have another center so you lose that but for the short term for the rest of this season at least you've got Duchesne so now you've got three centers again or you could play him on the wing you could at least have two pretty good lines so that's really nice and then DeHaan and Hamilton just really helps your defense. So now I got to say, uh, in regards to Hamilton, like I don't think the reason why his name is out there this season is because of, you know, the stuff we heard in Calgary. He goes Off to museums stuff. or doesn't he doesn't blend, care. Doesn't jive, doesn't care. I don't think that's the factor here. Like they need scoring. Dougie Hamilton is the big defenseman that can get them scoring. So whatever. But... You know, this stuff followed him in Calgary. He's been in the big Canadian market. It's going to instantly be following him the second he touches Back down to at Edmonton, right? And the question then is, uh, can he deal with that? Is the dressing room around him strong enough to deal with that? You know, hear all the time about how strong San Jose's dressing room is, for example, and how Carlson has fit in there so well, how Evander Kane has fit in there so well. And these two guys, like we've heard... We know about Kane's past. We've heard stories on this podcast about maybe Carlson was a bit of a dictator in that room, but everybody kind of blends there. Different with Hamilton, different different things surrounding him. But I just would worry if if it will all mesh, if it will all come together. Him, the team, just the, the media that's going to be around, the pressure to make the playoffs. The pressure for this trade to work out is going to be monumental for the Edmonton Oilers. So if he doesn't perform he's going to be in the crosshairs again. So that would be my primary concern for Edmonton. Boy, I, I like it for Carolina and Ottawa. I don't like it for Edmonton. And now your top four defensemen then are becoming Hamilton, Dahan, nurse and cleft which is pretty good. Like that. That's, you can't ask for much more than that. I just think their their major concern right now is scoring, and I think but if, what you got to worry about that first. What if you consider that with eight point five for Drysaddle plus six, so fourteen point five you're clearing. You, you let's just say you can keep Duchesne. Sure, you can go at him with a you know an eight year offer. That it's just like, well, hey man, do you want to be on Connor McDavid's okay. team? We've just like. Uh, I'm banking on them keeping at least one of those forwards. Remember, this is a guy who 
just last year was hell bent on getting out of Colorado because there weren't playoffs and Stanley yeah. Cups in the future. And so is even though this team has Connor McDavid with their track record, is he going to look at them any differently than he did those same Colorado Avalanche? They hadn't broken out with Nathan McKinnon or anything yet, so I, I wonder if he would be inclined. If you do get him under contract, it changes the equation a little bit here for sure. Boy, I love Drysdale, though. I love, I love how he can play both center and wing. Obviously, the way he can drive an offense, play with Connor McDavid. Okay, full, it's a full, little hybrid. Full disclosure: I originally had Martin e. Cash going to Edmonton as well from Carolina. Uh, highly okay. touted first rounder from with so, all this other with stuff. With all this, yeah. So uh, you know, and so wait. Car- fi- so Carolina is giving up then so, Furland, Dehan, Hamilton, and Nikash for Pulleyarvi and Trisale. So so that, now, that is a little bit now more it's getting a little rich for, for Carolina, right? That's and what, that's when it yeah. gets iffy. So iffy. at end, so I I drew the line at Nikash, and so inevitably it kind of comes down a little in favor of Carolina. That's as close as I could get at balancing it for three teams, right? I mean, it, if it you does keep Duchesne, I think. You think about it. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, that, that's the big wild card. I, I just don't think he would stay. That's, All right. that's the bottom line. But yeah, well, and if I mentioned like before I do anything with adding a big piece like Hamilton on my blue line, I'm making sure I have two scoring lines at least that I can feel really good about. That That's the thing they have to be worried about the most this trade deadline, I think. Well, it's uh, a special, fun, and speculative time of year. Friends, we apologize if something changed between now and the time this is hitting your ears because, man, things can happen fast and furious in advance of the deadline. And it certainly feels like there are some real tasty deals to be made out there. And, all, you know, we talked about the the number of teams that believe they can not only just make the playoffs, but maybe make a serious run that is going to put a demand on players. So it will be a fun stretch of the NHL season here. You can, of course, catch the Tape to Tape podcast covering all of that. Find us on sportsnet.ca. Subscribe in iTunes. Follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan. Myself, at Dixon on sports. And check back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape. <laughs>